All right, we are officially live for the second episode of the My Latin Life podcast, your trusted guide to Latin America. And I'm extremely honored to be here with the one and only Mr. Mark Zolo. Mark, how are you doing? Uh, doing great. Uh, doing great there, Vance. Um, yeah, life is looking pretty peachy right now. Uh, for those who don't know about my blog or my history, I I recently bought a sailboat in the Caribbean. So next week, I'm off for a couple of months to sail around the islands of the Lesser Antilles. So I, I'm not in a bad mood. I'm not in a bad mood. That's awesome. And for the moment, you seem to be a little bit more bundled up. Uh, I'm not sure if you're on Malta. Yeah. I didn't... But uh, you know, you got the scarf going and everything. Yeah, I'm in Malta right now, and it's pretty cold actually. Uh, even though we're right below, uh, you know, we're below Tunis in Africa here, but it mm -hmm. still gets pretty nippy in the in the winter. Or it can not too bad. It's a lot better than Ireland, but um, yeah, it's 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 pretty cold. Awesome. So we'll start it off with a little cheers. Cheers. <sighs> I said this to you offline, but I can't not have uh, Mark Zolo on the line without having a little drink. So here we are. Nice. Uh, living up to the stereotype. But yeah, 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 it's true. I mean, I own a couple of bars here. I'm, I'm, I'm very much an Irish stereotype at this stage. <laughs> and, you know, just wanted to double down on thanking you for coming on. Um, you know, we're kicking off this brand new uh, direction for My Latin Life and also a podcast as well. So for our first episode, we, ha we had on Vance, the founder of My Latin Life, who created it back in 2014 and was running it uh, basically full time up until 2021. And uh, Vance and I are, are good friends. And so I've kind of stepped in. And like I mentioned to you, we're going to take it in a new direction, basically as a nomad capitalist for Latin America and getting into some of the more advanced topics like passports, residencies, taxes, investing in real estate, um, and everything else. And I think, um, you know, in this discussion, we'll, we'll get into a little bit about, you know, the evolution of brands and maybe even cancel culture, but I don't want to go too far that direction. But, <laughs> but um, maybe to start it off, you could give us a little background about yourself and uh, let people know who you are for anyone that doesn't know. Yeah, so I started blogging a little over 10 years ago. I was very lucky when I was 18 because I got to go to a scientific expedition in Antarctica. And that kind of uh, lit the match for my for my thirst for adventure. And so then the next year I went to Southeast Asia. I went from Cairo to Cape Town the following year to Africa. Mm -hmm. And I started having all these crazy experiences and adventures. Um, not like your typical backpackers I would talk to. They're, my my stories were always just a little bit a bit wild and eventually everyone was telling me to write a book um so i did um naughty nomad it was called that's how it, that's why i started the blog naughtynomad.com mm -hmm. uh, because because i was i was really telling stories that were real you know you read uh books and you watch youtubers and other travel bloggers no one really talks about how it really is you know with a bit more the rock and roll aspect of it uh, so i just laid it bare i noticed there was no really good resources for men online for you know where to go to you know meet people or if you wanted to score a bit of weed or something like that and um, so I, I saw kind of a, a gap there so i started mm -hmm. writing city guides as well so i read over i've written over 100 men's city guides now um in the last 10 years and um and after my first book i got to number one on amazon for travel writing which i was really really happy with 
Um, then I moved to New York. I wrote a book about New York. And then I wrote my last book, which was, uh, I think, released only last year or two years ago now, which was My Life as a Mexican Pirate. So basically, to up the score after my first book, what we, we ended up doing was traveling to like war zones like Syria, Somalia, all mm-hmm. over West Africa, dressed like Mexican pirates. I know it sounds crazy. Actually, I have a, I have a, actually, I have a copy here. Oh, yeah, that was the first one there. That's the first one, yeah. Awesome. And the second one, that's our new one. That's this one here. Mine, like, oh, you see that? Yeah, that's me there. Yeah, we used to go like dressed like this. With sombreros, swords, fake mustaches all around the world and party, basically. And uh, yeah, that got to number one Amazon for travel, uh, for adventure travel, should I say. And there, it's been received really, really well. I'm, I'm just finished the audio book. Uh, I'm just redoing the first three chapters because I was get, finding my flow. Um, yeah, chapter your four, voice. I got it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's coming out soon. Um, but now, as you've seen on my website, I'm kind of um, retired from that because I, I recently got hitched. I'm going to start a family probably this year uh, after the sail trip. So um, now I'm kind of, uh, that inspired my last post, which was RIP, the not you know my blog, I'm gone sailing. So that's kind of yep. a... Retired and gone sailing. Yeah, and just in personal life, I, I uh, after New York, I moved to Malta, is where I am now, and I, I own now a couple of bars and restaurants. Uh, so that's kind of, yeah, that's uh, that's my story. Awesome. And I've read both books. I've read the majority of the city guides on your website. And one of the things I found remarkable was basically how young you got started. I mean, you did your first trip to Africa when you were like maybe 17 or something. Uh, I did my first trip to Southeast Asia at 19. So 18 was Mm. Antarctica. 20 was my first trip to Africa, Cairo to Cape Town. I was 20. And so when most people are, are going to university age 20, 21, 22, and, you know, they're just worried about getting into the next uh, geology class or whatever, you know, you were doing the craziest stuff of all time in Southeast Asia and, of course, in Africa as well. Did you feel young at that time? Did you feel early? I mean, that was just very early. People at, back home must have been like, what? Like, maybe for like a 25-year-old dude, but like, you're 20, you kind of got no money. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I and I was that first trip in Africa, we were we were really on a budget because, uh, I, you know, I was in college and so was my mate. So we would wait for the summer break. So we'd work during the year and, you know, you have three months off in the summer. So those three mm-hmm. months, we would always travel. Uh, but we were we were seriously on a budget that time because I remember we were we had uh, tents with us. And we'd camp and we you, some hostels we couldn't even afford. Sometimes we we camped uh, hidden behind the toilets in the in the hostels and stuff like that. Uh, so we were we were roughing it a bit, uh, camped in the desert and all that kind of thing. Um, weren't bi- weren't big on drink that trip, but we definitely splashed on what was imported like safaris, skydiving, quad biking, diving with great white sharks, all mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so I felt young, uh, but I mean. I, 18, I went to Antarctica, so that's hard to, uh, you can't go on a summer holiday with the lads to Greece like everybody else uh, after that. So it's kind of, I set the bar pretty high early and that's what kind of inspired uh, me to take on like big adventures early. And I believe you won a a scholarship related to Shackleton, right? Something like that. Uh, So as part of 
when I went to um, Antarctica, um, it was part of a thing called Angashka, which is the President's Award. In the UK, they call it the Duke of Embra Award. It's the equivalent. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, and I, uh, I actually got the, uh, I actually kind of was chosen to represent my country for that because because of the the effort I put in to do the adventure part of the trip. Um, and I actually met Shackleton's cousin. He happened to live in where my ex is. Uh, this little town in Ireland, my ex was uh, living there, and so I met him. He kind of got me uh, in touch with everybody to get on the boat. But yeah, I, I ended up. Uh, speaking and giving a speech in front of Prince Philip and um, our president, President McAleese. I ended up going to dinner with them afterwards as well. So, yeah, so I, I had a, pre a pretty, um, I, I had a pretty special uh, latter part of my school years, you know, when I was around 18. I mean, things were looking rosy at that phase, I suppose. For sure. And do you continue to be a big fan of Shackleton today? Do you have like any Shackleton memorabilia? Remobili, no, I only have the endurance, the book. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, the fact, his story, the fact that, and him and Crean, obviously, fellow Irishmen and sailors, very famous sailors. Uh, it's nice to kind of uh, things to come full circle, and for me to take up uh, take up sailing as well. So uh, that's something that I've done recently, and I'm delighted now to to kind of continue that. But uh, no, no, no such memorabilia, uh, not here anyway. <laughs> And, you know, just to double down on Ireland, um, both uh, the original Vance and myself kind of have uh, some Irish in the family. Uh, nice. I don't want to give too many specifics away, but there uh, might be some passports by descent floating around and whatnot. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I I went to Ireland uh, just this past year as well, visited um, uh, the hometowns of, uh, you know, uh, some of the branches of my families and stuff. So I well, always have a normal... May I ask? um sligo and donegal oh nice donegal is lovely mm -hmm. and um where was i going with that um i i was actually just speaking to vance uh we shouted you out on the first episode as well as as to how he got inspired to start writing city guides and one of the things that really struck me was that how even though it was admittedly like crude in some places you always did things with a measure of class and intelligence and it was always exceptionally News to well me. written. <laughs> <News to me. laughs> well, no, you. I found that to be the case. I, I mean, it, I, I, I think there was sort of like an it factor that that you have, and uh, that your content had that that really made it identifiable for a lot of people. Well, man, I appreciate that. That's great to hear. And uh, that's exactly what I was kind of trying to do. Like, I, I like to uh, think of myself as kind of a down to earth person, one of the lads. Um, and I kind of I kind of get a kicks from just getting people, you know, geared up and uh, motivated to go travel because you, you can just be a normal guy and uh, you don't have to be rich or um, have the resources to go out on these amazing adventures. And it's, you know, it's you only live once, so why not? And that's, if I can inspire someone to do that, that's really cool to hear that you guys uh, um, took away that from it. So that's great. Um, thank you. Absolutely. And I asked Vance this, but um, I asked him, where did the idea for the city guides come from? And he basically put all the credit on you. So now I'm going to ask you, Mark, where did the format or the idea of the city guides come from? Did it originally come from like Rush V forums 
or is there some sort of like or earlier origin to the city guide? How did that whole format come about? Uh, it was definitely Roosh uh, V stuff. He had, I think one of his first blogs was called like Real Man Travel Guides, Real Man Travel Guides. Mm -hmm. And even before I started the blog or doing anything, I actually contacted him by email and I said, yo, man, I love what you're doing here. He had, and he had come up with like a crude ra rating system as well, like similar to what I have. I credit to, I credited him on the blog. Now he's gone all Jesus now. He's probably not very proud of it anymore. But um, uh, yeah, so I actually contacted him and said, listen, I'll write guides for you. I just wanted to write guides. I didn't care about money. I didn't care about, um, I just wanted to write. I wanted to help and uh, contribute. And he said, no, I'm not really into the that site anymore. I'm doing kind of my own personal blog thing. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll do my own thing. And uh, so so credit where his credit's due. I mean, he he kind of, he mm -hmm. he, he, he kind of definitely um, uh, paved the way in that regard. And there's a lot of different terms for the same thing. I think in Rouge View, it's typically called a data sheet. And yeah. data sheet is, is a common term. City guide is a common term. Is there a difference or was there like evolution there? Uh, yeah, I don't know where the, the data sheet came. I think it was G manifesto. I think that was his kind of term he used. Um, yeah, I don't know where the term data sheet came from. But uh, <laughs> it's, it, what do you call it? Like a men's city guide. <laughs> For sure. And... Another um, funny piece of information that uh, I'm basically going to dig up for sort of longtime fans here is that one thing you'll notice if you go through uh, the data sheets on Naughty Nobad is you might notice a commenter with a remarkably familiar logo, and it's a bald guy with a red star in the background, and it looks surprisingly similar to the wildly popular YouTuber Bald and Bankrupt today. Do you know that Bald and Bankrupt was like an early fan of yours back in the like 2012? Uh, yeah, so this has come to light. Uh, I didn't know he had a YouTube channel going on. And um, I'm not sure how much I could say about this, but I was contacted by a mutual friend of his. Uh, I understood that he was under attack by some people on Reddit and stuff. So I respectfully uh, removed some posts he made on my forum uh you know i had respect or you know whatever uh mm -hmm. yeah i i didn't i didn't know that till till i was emailed about deleting posts um and then i think i saw all those reddit posts I was like holy crap fair play to him man he's made a great uh he's made a great going of it the youtube channel seems wildly popular it's still going i presume it's huge it's huge it's got more than mentioned, so he must be massive it, it's got more than a million subs um every video he posts basically hits a million wow. views um it's killing it so it's it's interesting because it's a guy that was i don't want to say like in the later innings you know what i mean but um he sort of was able to reinvent himself but still kind of retain some of that foundation uh and some of that inspiration from uh explorers such as yourself that came before him yeah it's it's uh it's a pity that the way that you know we were living in this sort of cancel culture, uh, wokeism kind of thing that's going on where there people are trying to cancel him because, oh no, he, he, he liked to meet women along the way. It's kind of ridiculous, but that's where we're at now. Even, even me and other guys, we, and we're all moving from blogs to YouTube and we kind of have to clean up our act a bit because we, we can't speak plainly. We got to watch the censors and uh, we don't want to bring the mob against us. I mean, I've been attacked by the Sunday world, uh, and obviously 
you know, um, pour a drink for Tom Terrer, what happened to him recently with the with with the article in Newsweek. I mean, it's it's a bit it's a bit sad that uh, like guys have to kind of tone things down. We can't really be ourselves, um, and so it's a real pity. I hope that changes with decentralization and um, <clears throat> we if if we can migrate off these big tech companies in the future. But as it stands. It looks like that kind of era, the blogging era with all the Manosphere, the original guys, that kind of era is, is a little over. You know, Roosh found Jesus. I'm starting a family. Everyone else is getting a bit older. And game is demonized. I mean, how many young men now know about game even? They learn about it in a different way. That's for sure. There's definitely a bit of a new generation uh, coming up of, of dating coaches and stuff like that. But it was definitely a lot more raw. Uh, about yeah. 10 years back oh yeah I, I i look back some of my posts and you know the thing is so, certain times you would write to purposely uh incense and uh you infuriate certain mm -hmm. you know you want to get hate clicks so they, they unfortunately they would get the most views if you were a bit um controversial so but now i look back and say like, oh that might bite me in the ass and delete that <laughs> it was raw it was raw yeah, and I mean, shout out to you for for sticking up for for Tom Torero. Obviously, uh, you know, R.I.P. and uh, very sad to to hear the news. Uh, definitely another individual that I learned a lot from, consumed his content, and you know, um, don't want to dwell on it too long, but just wanted to thank you for for you know um, being willing to to stand up for it a little bit. Yeah, I mean. Uh... Because I, I know what it's like, man. I uh, I I said I had that Sunday world. I had a two page spread in our national newspaper. They people organized against my family business. It was all my village, oh, wow. and it and it was complete libel as well, absolute libel. Now, luckily, um, they had the online version. The libelous quote that was was in the newspapers uh, after a bit of pressure was taken down. But he basically impl implemented, or sorry, like the Tom thing, he they insinuated that I had committed uh, a crime of some sort, which I did not. Um, and th they don't care. They just want a snappy headline for clickbait. They want to drag people through the mud. Uh, so mm -hmm. I, I, I sympathize. But even worse for him, like they canceled, uh, I think they got all his uh, payment processors canceled on all his platform. It was absolutely disgusting what happened. And uh I mean, it's like the, you remember it was it was a, during my attack was during the Roosh V thing. And do you remember that time there was like sixteen hundred articles written around the world when he wrote that how to stop rape article, and they were calling his forum like a rape apologist group or something ridiculous. I mean, listen to the sound of that like rape apologist group subject, and they wanted an Irish angle. I was the Irish angle because <laughs> I adver advertised on a site for my New York book, and they just dragged me through the mud. So, God, it, was, it wasn't a nice time. And um, yeah, just to sort of like uh, buckle the buckle on this topic, I mean, so you've decided to make a bit of a evolution in, in your blog and your brand as well. Um, I think you in also my life, did kind in my of, life more so. In your, blog yeah, in your life more so. I mean, so yeah. you hit the big three five, I guess, um, which I did you feel that three five was a uh, was uh, anything particular about that age? Did that really feel like a milestone? Or um, like, why why not when you were thirty or thirty two or forty? Well, actually, I hit that milestone uh, or that way of thinking when I was twenty seven. I, I wrote a post called 
um, you were becoming imprisoned by your persona. And right. it was that kind of that time where I was aware, I, I was very aware I was uh, becoming a dancing monkey, especially mm-hmm. when I was, uh, I think I wrote about it in my last book, when I was uh, in Mogadishu and I had the decapitated head of that suicide bomber at my feet. I was like, ah, I'm taking this thing a little bit too far. Um, so I was aware of being a dancing monkey at that stage. And that's, that's when I moved to New York. And I kind of got a bit more private and I made the conscious decision to stop writing about my private life uh, in New York, you know, less so because I realized I was becoming performative and I, I was kind of lost to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of that the, the milestone, if I had any milestone at all, it was uh, moving to New York and then hitting 30 as well. So for some reason, when I hit 30, there was like a switch that went off uh, and I got suddenly concerned with my future um especially financially setting myself up like uh, instead of going job top what am i going to do i should invest i should uh, start some businesses um mm-hmm. i'm not going to die i always had this idea i was going to die young um but that's when i started to think more long term so i say 30 more so 35 is just a nice milestone you know people uh people think 35 all right that's it tends to be a good time when you start thinking about having kids i think for men i think 35 is a pretty good uh it's a pretty good time for sure. And so what advice would you have to, to men and, and ladies as well in their late twenties and into their early thirties who they're starting to have those thoughts of, Oh, I need to settle down. I need to settle down. But on the other hand, we also have more freedoms than ever. We have more, you know, zoom and, and softwares and whatnot than ever. And we could just keep going, keep pushing, book that next ticket to Brazil, book that next ticket to, you know, whatever Africa, or we could sort of do something a little bit more down the middle with like medium adventure, but also medium sort of settling down. You know what I mean? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? Well, you know, I am of a firm believer. You don't necessarily have to compromise. Now, obviously you do a little bit, but, uh, just because you know I'm I'm more settled down now. I've bought a place, I've businesses, I'm starting a family. But at the same time, I'm going sailing for a couple of months, and you know I was in Pakistan with the lads there earlier in the year. I've been on. I went to like eleven countries here, and that was during COVID. That was during COVID last year. So I mean, you don't necessarily have to give up just because you're thinking about settling. It doesn't mean you can't adventure. I don't know um, where that thought comes from. Now, if you're if you're obviously not as uh, as uh, untethered as you are in your early 20s, but you have to think about your future at the same time. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know if I have any particular advice. The thing is, I'm not going to, I tend to not be preachy. I don't even know if I'm doing the right thing. I'm just kind of taking things as they come, trying to live the best life I can. Uh, it was actually really hard um, to make the transition to settle life compared to what the life I was living before. And also because I had this, this blog and this brand called Naughty Nomad, all of a sudden I was the nice settled guy, I guess, but that's <laughs> not very marketable. So there was a lot of incongruency there. Um, I, 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 I don't think anyone uh, should look for advice to anyone else. I think you can only, you can only do what's right for you. Makes sense. And I definitely want to talk about your sailing trip uh, in detail. But before we get there, I just wanted to double down on the books. Of course, Naughty Nomad and My Life as a Mexican Pirate, available on Amazon. Um, my question for you is, 
how much more difficult was that first book than you originally anticipated? And what made you such a glutton for punishment to, to go through it again? And was it easier the second time around? No, <laughs> it was torture. It was years of torture. Uh, oh, I don't know. Like the first book, I don't know. I'd never written a book before. I had no idea how much work was involved. It's, it was the biggest thing I ever done. I mean, all the edits and the time, years and years and hour, like the hours. I mean, I think if you worked out how much you get paid versus the hours you work when it comes to a book, it's it's probably like you're a Bangladeshi slave laborer. <laughs> uh, I did the first book because I felt like I had to do it uh, because I felt like a story that needed to be told. I had a great story that needed to be told. Agreed. And then my second book, I always knew I was going to write a second one. Um I just I just did and that's my travels got so intense because I knew I was writing a second one. I didn't I want didn't want to disappoint my readers either. Uh but after my last one, I'm not in a hurry to write another one. I'm not in a hurry. Uh I don't even know if I will. I'm just kind of this whole sailing thing and this next phase of my life I'm doing for me. I'm not thinking about uh oh if I if I do this reckless, stupid, dangerous thing, this will be a really good story, <laughs> which I often did. I got myself in terrible, terrible situations, but I got great stories out of them. And there's a phrase, right, that the Irish is like a land of poets and storytellers. How does it go? Yeah, saints and scholars, and uh, that's yeah, there, there's a we've a few, there's a few American. Um, a cozy American uh, idioms for that, but uh, yeah, saints and scholars, but writers, we're also known for our writers, of course, uh, musicians. We all, everyone plays guitar, everybody sings. Um, mm -hmm. It's definitely artistic culture. Uh, yeah, and obviously uh, there's been countless Irish writers who are well-known throughout the world. So it, it, is a, it is a culture that fosters that kind of um, mm -hmm. artistic expression. And do you feel like you're in that vein of great, Irish writers and storytellers well, and explorers. Like, like Joyce and Wilde got nothing on me. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I just got like, I mean, my books are kind of, they're kind of dirty, you know, uh, they're a bit, uh, they're a bit racy. So I, I don't think I'd be uh, like, I, I sent, I sent my, my last one out to tons of literary agents, try and get a mainstream publisher on board. And I got the same feedback from everyone. It was like, nobody is going to, touched this thing it was like completely politically incorrect and that's it's on the second one and that's on a guy with a track record in sales yeah uh, yeah and, and a following and stuff like that they just they said no freaking way this is uh absolutely unpublishable smut smut but uh <laughs> again absolutely against the the woke zeitgeist do you know uh paul theroux he's a american yeah. travel writer and he's still he's still going and cranking it out and he goes on a trip he'll go to the american south or patagonia or whatever it is and then he'll crank out a book on it and you know it's observations and i'm sure his earlier work was a bit more raw and a reflection of the time and uh you know now his books kind of reflect the the thoughts of uh maybe a cranky old guy but i mean cheers to him to a be still exploring and then also um you know, creating that output and creating a body of work and a portfolio and something to look back on and be proud of. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's cool to I mean, writing a book is tremendously satisfying when it's finished. 
you can kind of it's there forever then um so if anyone's thinking about doing it do, well first of all don't do it for the money do it because you really really want to write a book uh, i think that's why most writers write and was it easier the second time around did you uh figure out better techniques of even just like how to store things yeah. in google docs or how to just like ways of making more efficient what kind of epiphanies did you have good question uh yeah well for one it was still difficult but your writing skill definitely improves the way you structure a story you're more concise with your language you know you've new writers have a habit to be overly fl uh, flowery and descriptive um yeah so I, de I definitely think my writing vastly improved from the first one i read the first one back and now even though it's it's got great reviews and um it's done really well i read it now like oh god i, I would write this completely different now um mm -hmm. you know it's just small things you learn you improve your skills as a copy editor make your sentence more punchy um mm -hmm. how you phrase things now, luckily, I'm from a country uh, that definitely helps because the, the the way the Irish express themselves, we have a, we have a knack for storytelling. We we are a nation of storytellers. That's certainly mm -hmm. true. Um, so that kind of helps with the voice in the book, and and also kind of the whole piratey aspect of it of the last one. That kind of was a little bit of a guide as well. Um, in terms of lessons, of course, you learn a lot about structure, how to structure a book, what you're trying to do, um, in terms of the overall arching storyline, like the meta, the meta story. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. And uh, I, I, the best thing to do is like find a friend who will help you out, you know, get them to read a first draft, give you some just general feedback and uh, maybe one or two people if you can. And um, then you write your second edit or, or, or you write your, what I, what I would do, I'd write the first draft. Then I would go through it chapter by chapter. I would uh, do the second edit and then pass the chapter to my friend. And then while he's looking over the second edit of that chapter, I'm working on the second edit for the next chapter. And we go through that for the whole book. And then on his feedback, I would write the third draft. Mm -hmm. And then on that, I would be, I'd be giving it to more friends. I'd be looking at a copy editor at that space. And you're talking, but at the end of the day, you're talking about like seven edits. It takes years. Mm -hmm. yeah it takes years and you would you put like each chapter in its own file and then only compile it at the end uh yeah that's how i would do it yeah i i would uh double space there's a kind of a there's a kind of a standard format um for copy editors so it's like double space lines um or you know chapter by chapter there's a there's a there's an exact form you kind of follow uh, and then they they actually edit that when they edit the docs they have little notes it's all done in Microsoft Word. Uh, it's it's a fun experience. I, writing the first draft is torture. It is really really hard. Editing is fun. I liked editing. Like you know making things, improving things. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes it's better. It sometimes it's a good idea to like get a bit high or have a drink or two for the for the second edit, or sometimes even the first edit because you get a bit more expressive. You get a bit more playful. I definitely did a lot more in the first book. <laughs> I was getting high a bit and just kind of just coming up with this like kind of mad imagery or mad phrases. It was a yeah, it's 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 a serious process. It takes a lot of years. Even the audiobook, oh my god. This is I've been 18 months working on this thing. That's I you're talking about for every chapter is 10 hours of work. I mean, you're doing two hours in the boot and then eight hours editing. It's uh, uh it's a lot of work. Well, the way I do it, it's a lot of work. 
because uh, I'm such a goddamn perfectionist. It kills me. I, I, I've actually seen a, quite a, a few uh, screenshots of people who put out a book and then put up the audiobook. And the audiobook makes 10x the amount of money because Amazon's pretty good. They really want people on Audible or whatever, and they pay their creators well. So it's definitely a, a good angle to go and yeah, hopefully yeah. be fruitful. I had to do like, I think, 20 African accents in it. That was different. <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah 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 a middle eastern accents and so many chicas i don't like i i'd edit the voice so like their pitches are higher as well and uh oh god I can't so wait. people that have read the books are gonna have to buy the audiobook just just to listen to mark's oh, yeah. accents it's gonna it's gonna be fun uh yeah as i said it's it's i i'm definitely finishing the 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 last of the chapters before i sail because i i, I want to be editing those last chapters while i'm sailing um so so hopefully i've been saying that m mind you i said it was going to come out last year and it didn't so uh just, i just hope it gets out there soon but that's kind of uh my big project i'm finishing at the moment okay awesome and we're gonna get to the the sailing for sure because this is the my latin life podcast and you're coming over to our part of the world so we're happy to welcome you over here um i wanted to ask a bit where are you about, living by the way sorry where are you based right now i'm in Playa ah. Carmen, Mexico, right now. I uh, travel, you know, more or less all around the Americas, top to bottom. Uh, but uh, Playa del Carmen is is a great community and uh, good weather here this time of year as well. So much better than uh, back in Canada, negative twenty. Oh, absolutely! I imagine oh, that's cool, man. So I, I always had a question about the Mexican pirate stuff. It's not even one question. I just want, I want to hear more in detail about it because I felt like I felt like every single pirate mission could have been its own book. And you know, you've done it in 20 countries. I mean, Congo, Somalia, uh, you name it, West Africa. And I feel like in the books, I wanted a little bit more detail of sort of like the monotony of going out. So everyone knows what it's like to go out. Maybe you get a couple people in a living room. You start blasting some music. You get the the pregame, pre-drink going. You up the vibe. You know, maybe you order a taxi to the bar. You know, maybe you wait in line. You pull up to the bar. You start interacting with people. Start sort of building the the environment, making yourself kind of the kings of the environment, taking it from there. Um, what is it like? Um, basically, like like basically herding the cats and getting everyone into Mexican pirate gear. Uh, what's it like ordering the cab or, or walking to the bar or whatever? What's it like when you're standing in line or, you know, in front of that bouncer and he's like, mm, I don't know, guys, like yeah. talk, talk about some of the, the mechanics of it. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Uh, definitely. So usually, <laughs> you know, you start to get ready at home and it starts off always the same. You know, certain people are getting ready, start pouring a few pre-drinks, and then each person starts to look more and more ridiculous. You know, the fake mustaches come on. Like even if you're tired and you're done, you're partying, you've been partying for a week straight, the mustache come on, you blow up the giant banana, <laughs> you put a sombrero on, and and uh, and uh, you know, the bandanas and the eye patches, and uh <laughs> it's impossible not to just like laugh at the whole thing 
uh, and you just feel the energy coming up. Uh, and you, you had the we had the lightsabers as well. So sometimes we'd switch between mm-hmm. inflatable swords, and we could get our hands on the lightsabers. They were like swords that lit up different colors. Yeah. And there was always there was sometimes we'd have certain people who'd be tired, some members of the group. But I always, I always, always had energy. I don't know why. I never had an off night. I was, I was always the one who had the most energy. So I was always like, "Come on, lads, let's fucking go." Uh, uh, but, but, but. I wasn't always the craziest one. It was always someone who kind of took the lead that night. Each everybody had their kind of night, and so you just get up, you go ready, and and we're just yarring and yar and get like pumping ourselves up. It's kind of very uh, caveman-y, uh what we were doing. Very mm-hmm. caveman-y, uh, just drunken and grunting, and we be we do a lot of uh, we do a lot of like we be like <laughs> and all this kind of thing. Like we were like animals. Um, and honestly, it didn't get old. Like you said, monotony. I, I, the only time you would kind of like, it wouldn't land was when you end up, perchance, in a quiet, uh, bush town, uh, in transit, where it's kind of like, oh, this place is dead. Uh, and and often, often I found the opposite. I found it was hard to find places that matched our energy because usually people have the for opposite. Sure. You're the you're the highest energy people in the venue for sure. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so I, I often found like there wasn't enough. I never had enough uh, in in places. When this, that's why I kind of moved to New York. And even New York, I felt there wasn't enough energy for me. I'd be out on a Monday. I was like, "Where's the party?" And there was, the, you know, the scene gets quite quiet. I mean, Dublin has a better Monday and Sunday and Tuesday night than New York does. Um, but yeah, so I I, I never felt monotonous. I felt it was monotonous. You just kind of you, you know something exciting is going to happen because the thing is, it's it's never a normal night when you're dressed so crazily. It's it's an adventure, and you know something. Every time you go out, it never gets old when people are staring at you like, "What the hell?" Or the attention you get, or the girls coming up trying to rob your hat. Uh, you you have to be on because people are on you. So um, yeah, it's no, a different- I, I I didn't say monotony. Monotony. Yeah. Um, but more just like the routine, the routine, yeah, but not more just like the mechanics of like, how do you like coordinate everyone? How do you like, one of my questions would be like, so what happens at the end of the night when some people want to go home at different times? And then there's just like one guy on the curb with the outfit still on. He's like, by himself, and he's like, people go missing. They just go missing. Like one by (laughs) one, they just go missing. Like you might not. I mean, I think it was, uh, without naming names, I think our last, we were in Belarus and Ukraine the other day. Mm-hmm. I mean, one lad we didn't see for, for forever. I mean, he, he, he went missing at eight o'clock in the day and he showed up at 12 o'clock the next day without a passport and like <laughs> while gone and, uh, th- like that, that kind of thing used to always happen. Um, and so what happens when the, the group sort of like reduces down to like may- maybe just two guys and it's hard to keep the energy going or you're yeah. the guy that finds himself by himself at the end of the night and your state can just drop so fast because there's people staring yeah. at you and you don't have that like that something to like bounce yeah, off of. When you're on your own it's, and you're re- if you're like the, the one drunk pirate on your own sitting down in the corner with the good glass. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's, we've all been there, uh, but uh, it's it's not good. You just get a taxi home, I suppose. I know that definitely. Ha- some of the lads, they they would get really messy. That's what would happen. They would get messy, and they would mm-hmm. just get in a taxi and go home. Um, yeah, because it's uh, a fine line. Because you can boost your state and do it sober, but I feel like drinking is a part of it, and maybe it's easy to to take a little bit too far. 
Oh God, yeah, and we would get so messy. Oh my God, the stories, and I like I I can't say too much, but I had to edit out a lot of my book for my friends because of like I left out so many stories you wouldn't believe, uh, because they were just carnage. Um, and I still would want them to be my friends, <laughs> so by telling the stories, but uh, yeah, I had to I had to retone that book is toned down. I'm sure that book is toned down. So let's. It, how about? Like do you think you could uh, reward the listeners right now and give us maybe one uh, story that didn't make the cut? I, I wish I could just name a country and and have you tell a story, but I'm not sure. You probably um, could. You probably could. Um, somewhere random. To me, it's like all Africa and maybe Eastern Europe. Um, Liberia. Did you do it in Liberia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in Liberia. That's one of your favorites, I believe, as well, or Sierra Leone. Uh, Sierra Leone, yeah, yeah. Oh God. Uh, so how does well, that work? Like they don't even see uh Europeans that much, and then you're pulling up and they have no idea what to make of you. Anyway, so what what can you tell us about uh Liberia pirating? <sighs> that was uh because they yeah, so they don't get a lot of tourists. That was really intense, that place. Um I I, I talk about this in the book so it's not going to be anything particularly new but for those who haven't uh, who who haven't read i'm trying to think if there's any details i could share uh i mean i'm pretty candid with my own stuff with my own stories i'm pretty candid about what happens um so i mean we sh we rock up in a nightclub there and we had like the lightsabers we upgraded to lightsabers at that point and uh it and we needed them because you need them to fight the women off. Just like, get away, get away. It was, it was like, it was like being rock stars. Um, and the thing is, if a girl couldn't compete for you, she would grab her friend and it would be a, you know, they'd be like, oh, there's two of us now. What are you gonna do? You what, what is this? What like that would be the challenge to the other girl. And then it was this case where she went off and got her mates, and then there was like two pairs competing. I had to run to the bathroom because uh it was just so intense. Um yeah, my, my mate was in bad shape. He went home already. But uh, I end up just picking somebody that had their own place because Liberia is... Oh, there was... there was Actually, there is a detail that... Uh, oh, no, I think I wrote about that in the book. But uh, two, one of the girls from the club had found out where my friend lived and went back to the hotel and knocked on his door with another girl. So he was sleeping. He went back sleeping. In the middle of the night, opens up. There's two women there and they want to come inside and have fun. <laughs> Like that shit doesn't happen anywhere. Uh, now he didn't do it because he was didn't trust them. That's the thing about Africa; you can't trust the girls, man. They're, it's so dodgy, so you have to try and find people with their own place. So there's a lot of uh, Africa's um, Africa's. Uh, it's it's it can be pretty dodgy, especially at nighttime. The people you meet. I know my mate Gilly. <laughs> he bought a he bought a he bought a pet chicken uh, over in Liberia, and he went traveling with us, Captain Cluck. I remember so, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Captain Cluck. Uh, Got a little sombrero for him, and uh, he would just kind of like travel around with us. He didn't go to any of the clubs or nothing, but uh, just kind of it was so random. Um, yeah, Liberia was an interesting spot, and there was a, and then uh, I remember the next day, I was in my hotel bar, and another girl had went to the hotel bar, and she said, "Oh, I saw you were at this club last night, and I found out where you were staying, and I wanted to meet you." This was like in the middle of the day, and we ended up getting a room, uh, but. It just kind of it was it's, the nearest thing I could describe it is like it's like being a rock star. What I imagine a rock star or a pop star's life 
is like um, doing what we were doing. That's the nearest thing I can compare it to. So it was kind of an unreal reference point mm -hmm. um, to experience that. It really gave me a, an interesting perspective. The problem is it, it kind of it had an addictive quality. So um, it was hard to kind of do what I'm doing now and kind of simmer down. It took me a couple of years before I was able to kind of come back to being a normal person. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's that's all my that's all my notes on Liberia. I don't have any any secret uh, secret stories. Um, yeah, I mean, I I just think the mechanics of it are hilarious. It's not just like you order order you know uh, an Escalade and it's all smooth and then you roll up. It's like you know you get in this super rickety taxi and there's four of you guys with hats and some weird radio blaring and the taxi's like this and then you get to the door and they're like, who are you? And then like, I don't know, like how, you know what I mean? Like, it must be just like insane. Yeah. Um, do, yeah, yeah. Do, do you think it like um, actually was like sort of like an anti-robbery defense as well, where you were just like so present that they couldn't mess with you as much? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 cause you, you draw so much attention that it's a bad thing for, for would be perpetrators i mean think about it like if you're imagine you're in the middle of a war zone like when we were in syria or we we're in somalia you know if there was some sort of crossfire you'd look at the guy with the sombrero and goes well he's not against me that's for sure i don't know who the hell that guy is but i'm not going to shoot him <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um yeah i i guess but at the same time man it's the opposite it's the opposite you track so much attention the thing right, you the sharks are circling the sharks are seriously you get seen so uh you get seen and that's a that's right that it's like did you have like maybe like a time limit in there like you know you go into a dodgy nightclub or venue i feel like first two hours you're chill but then after a while maybe you know you start to see some like crazy like eyes staring and shit like that and it starts getting a little eerie or how, you know what i mean the opposite the opposite, you go in, you're like, oh my God, this is intense. Uh, everyone's staring at you. Everyone's eyeing you up. Um, it's a new place. That, and then after two hours, a couple of drinks, you're and you're chilling then. It's the complete opposite. Uh, I, no, I, I, like, I don't worry about the guys. I worry about the girls, man. The, huh. You know, when, if you take a girl home, is she going to rob your stuff? Is she going to call somebody? Is it a honeypot trap? I've been in all sorts of dodgy situations. I, I, anyone who's read the last book was about what happened in Djibouti when I basically got held hostage, uh, and I had those all those girls come up. Um, yeah, and I think that stuff was terrifying. So I, and there's been a couple of situations with robberies, and uh, one story that wasn't in the book. Um, I don't. I'm not going to name place. I'm not going to name who it was, but. I, one of my friends basically had a girl like knife to the throat that came into the room and she had a knife to his throat and was was trying to rob him um yeah like that, that kind of thing doesn't happen uh in on, on a on a lad's holiday in in paris or or, or budapest so uh yeah there's been a couple of couple of dodgy situations so always the threat was from who you're bringing home more so agreed <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean what um, like what's what's mexico like for that yes yeah, funny we're yeah you're talking about mexican pirates with a guy in mexico i mean um yeah i don't know what to comment on uh playa del carmen's pretty normal place sort of a conflux of uh you know um north america meets latin america um it's sort of just maybe only like one 
one foot deep or one toe deep into Latin America. So it's kind of like a good balance. They have Walmart here, good Wi-Fi. You can walk to the beach. I can see the beach from my balcony. Um, and everyone's friendly. There's um, it's probably a mix of maybe like one third locals, one third Mexican tourists, one third um, international tourists. So um, you get sort of like a good a good mix and vibe um, when you go out. And um, I, it, it's it's a great place. It's a place that won't challenge you uh, particularly, but it's a good place to sort of um, get your feet wet and, and get started and learn more, start learning more about Latin America. Yeah, for sure. My, my brother was just over there and he loves that part of uh, Mexico. He, he absolutely loves a blast, Tulum and Playa de Carmen. Mm -hmm. I, I was supposed to go over there for last New Year's, but then um, they didn't give me a visa for America. My flight was to New York, so but I'll get there eventually. Um, listen, I have about I have only five ten minutes. Uh, okay. So so uh, is there any like what's the kind of the main any main questions you want to ask? Yeah, sure. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the Caribbean adventures, and yes. then sort of to end it off, I'd love to hear a little bit of your thoughts, sort of on. Uh, the future of uh, the community and sort of uh, nomad capitalist type uh, type mm -hmm. stuff and and how much we've sort of seen that grow in the past two years. So um, tell us a little bit about the Caribbean adventure. It makes a lot of sense because uh, as you pointed out, it's impossible to fly like spot to spot. You can't fly from Guadalupe to Saint Martin or, or whatever it is. You The only way to do it is by sailboat, right? If you want to hit all the islands and knock all these countries out without flying to Miami every time. Exactly. And I just, listen, I just published, I swear to God, an hour ago, my first post on a new blog I'm doing called, if you go to marksales.com, I got marksales.com and I'm, it's kind of a new blog, just about my whole sale. It's a PG. So the, the family yeah. and friends can, can follow along on my adventures. And I literally just published a post about that, what saying exactly what you said. So I've had this plan when I was living in New York seven years ago, I figured that the only way to do it properly was by boat or by sea. And originally I actually wanted to get a jet ski because uh, I read the, that. The, yeah. And go all the way from, uh, all the way from Florida down to Venezuela, because the biggest gap is Turks and Caicos um, and Hispaniola. It's 160 kilometers. Jet ski can get up to 200 kilometers, even more uh, uh, that, that far range. And I was thinking, let's well, form a little jet ski gang at four or five is the pirate thing. How it's just like, how do we text the Mexican pirates to the next level? Form a pirate jet ski gang. That was, <laughs> it was obvious, but um, my friends are a bit concerned about, you know, the whole thing break, <laughs> or breaks down or all sorts of things. The sea, a little jet ski, big seas. I mean, it was a really dumb idea. Cool, but a really stupid idea. And then I was thinking, you know, what if we just combine our money? Maybe we get a cheap sailboat. Uh, then we'd have a kitchen. We could have a bathroom. We'd have a bed. Um, but I thought, no way you could get one for like under 10 grand or something. But actually, you can. You can get sailboats real cheap. Um, so I kind of had to do to buy a sailboat. I had enough money after New York. But then I thought, oh, what was I going to do afterwards? You know, I need to build up some passive income and just establish myself a little better before I blew all my money on sailboat and then have to pay to store it somewhere. It just wasn't mm -hmm. a great plan to spend to spend all my cash on that. So uh moved to Malta a few years later, now it is. I got my day skippers, set up a few bars, things are going well. I invested in Bitcoin back when it was uh $630 or so. Uh, and actually I bought this this I have two boats now. I've one in Sardinia and this one I got now is literally I just used crypto. Um 
Yeah, so I bought in Grenada, and the plan is to go all the way uh, up up Grenada to um, wait. Can I actually? I can share my screen. Maybe I have a uh, I have a little little animation here. Uh, one second. Can you can I share can I share my screen? Is it possible? Uh, I've never tried it. Okay, one second. Uh, yes, I can. Just give me a second here. I'll show you the show you the trip. Uh, ba, ba, ba. And it looked like you were going from like south to north, kind of like starting at the bottom. South to north, and then uh, and then uh, just just give me a second here. I have it here. One second. Uh, south to north. So starting Grenada, going up, and then kind of skipping every second island, doing a loop at the top, and then coming down, visiting the islands uh, that I didn't visit before. Because um, uh, okay, I'm going to share the screen now. Okay, here we go. Yeah, because. Um, I have a, I, the boat came with a free mooring in Grenada and Grenada and Trinidad. They're the two countries in the region that are below the hurricane belt. So it was a nice. perfect scenario. And it was a, it was a 32 foot pocket cruiser boat. It couldn't have worked out better for me, to be honest. Uh, I was going to share the screen, share screen. And, you know, obviously you're inspiring people with the idea of this trip. You, I do see, see this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. How much does it does it cost to buy a, a sailboat like this? One second. Let me just sail route. Yeah, so look at this. So yeah, so he's starting in Grenada there. I'll tell you now in a minute. Um, starting Grenada, so then up to St. Vincent's to Martinique, then Guadalupe, round of Guadalupe to Antigua, Barbuda, then up to St. Bart's, around Anguilla, going to St. Martin, Saba, Status, St. Kitts and Nevis, Montserrat, and then down to Dominica, and then finally St. Lucia and back down to Grenada and that'll take a couple of months. Oh, you're doing a full, full circle basically. Yeah. 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 That's the one. Ah, I didn't know that. That Yeah. yeah. I guess you got to bring the boat back to Grenada now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's below the hurricane belt and it's a free mooring. So it makes sense. Um, yeah, it's, I'm, I can't wait. Uh, yeah. So that's the plan. It, it didn't call that boat was listed for 12 and a half grand us. Oh, by the way, anyone listen, by the way, I'm selling this boat at the end of the season as well. So if you guys want to have a sailing adventure uh, in June, that boat's going to be, I'll be putting up for sale. It comes with a free mooring. So it's like, it's storing, it's free. It also has a wind generator on it, has a TV on it, dinghy. I mean, it's got everything. It has everything. Um, and do you register the boat in Granada? I know a lot of people oh, register in Panama. Or... Registering boats is a pain in the ass. But uh, Poland made the most sense, believe it or Poland. not. Poland. Yeah, Poland, believe it or not. Yeah, I got my little registry, my Polish registry here. No yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, it's the e easiest place for Europeans now to, uh, to look, see, that's my little Polish registration there. I can't really see it, but, uh, but um, yeah, uh, it's the easiest place for Europeans to register boats for, at the moment. Interesting. Yeah, that's definitely something uh, we could talk about uh on my Latin life, you know, registering boats and uh, and everything. What, what's your, what's your particular affinity with Latin America? Um, it's something that, uh, if, if I may ask, is your is your um, significant other? Um, she's Colombian. She, she's Colombian, right? Yeah, she's Colombian. She's cooking up a feed right now. In fact, uh, yeah, and she 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 actually op just opened her own restaurant here in Malta as well. No uh, arepas. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, Arepa. Arepa, the son of Arepas. Uh, she makes a mean Arepa. Uh, sells, uh, she's the first, first Colombian to set up a business here in Malta. 
it's Colombian food and it, they're packed so it's great and because I, I own three places and she's had a one and, and it was all her own cash and stuff as well her and her dad um so yeah that's going well and yeah so I, and obviously i speak spanish as well uh, my family we had a, a small place in the south of spain when, when i was growing up so every year we would spend a month in the south of spain so i always had a fondness for the language and, and latin culture um, yeah, I think that's one of the things that made your content seem intelligent is I think when you would were going through the books, um, you know, you would reference how you were making an effort to speak French and to speak the languages. So are, yes, do you learn language. do you learn a little bit of Maltese? I think you've spent time with Arabic. Yeah. Um, have you spent some time with Italian, which I guess is important in Malta, Spanish now? Just speak yeah. a bit about your your language learning. I love languages. Um, I, I was terrible at them in school, funny enough. Uh, and then I got into Arabic when I went to my first African trip because Egypt and Sudan and I learned Egyptian Arabic and I studied in I ended up studying it for my master's. In fact, I did Spanish and Arabic with my master's. And um, then I got into Russian, uh, Russian mm -hmm. and Chinese uh, Mandarin mm -hmm. from my Moscow to Manila trip. And I, I was really fond of Russian and I, I keep going back to it because I, I go to a lot of Russian speaking places. Um, and then French when I went to West Africa and I'm actually, I'm actually brushing up my French now for the French islands for this trip. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, and I, I've, I've tried, I've done a month in Thai and Farsi. Uh, those are very difficult languages though, I may say. And obviously we, we have to learn Irish in, in school. Uh, no Italian, my Italian, I, I, I should, I should, but I, I don't know any. But uh, yeah, I, I use Pimsleur. I use P-I-M-S-L-E-U-R. I use their courses. I think they're amazing. It's all audio, less focus on grammar, all about communication. It's not about writing. It's literally just purely about communication. And even after, I think, a month uh, or uh, a month of Russian, I was, I think it was, I went, I went on a few dates in Russian. And after two months in French, I was having, having conversations uh, easily. So I love languages. I think if you're going to travel, you know, do an audio course, it, it is so much better. It makes the experience so much more enriching. It's true. It's true. All right. So last question, basically, as we're wrapping up, um, you know, I, I think my Latin life and myself personally, we were kind of early to getting um, second residencies, looking into second passports and generally internationalizing your lifestyle beyond your country of origin, not being so dependent on all your money coming from one currency, things like that, internationally, you're internationalizing your lifestyle. Um, I've definitely seen that you've taken steps in that direction as well. You've written about the online offline uh, dichotomy and uh, obviously, you know, basing yourself in Malta as, as an Irishman and uh, with uh, some Polish IDs running around and whatnot. How do you think about internationalizing your life, uh, tax strategies, setting up sort of backup plans, etc.? Yeah, so I'm I'm mad into this now, especially since I got into crypto. Uh, how do you preserve your wealth, like uh, legally avoid taxes? Uh, I'm a big fan of Nomad Capitalist and their mm -hmm. their whole movement. We're going go mm -hmm. to the best. And Malta is quite advantageous from a tax perspective because you can set up an offshore company in Gibraltar, uh, and there's only a five. It works out at an effective corporate tax rate of five percent here. If you send your money to um, the holding company and send it back to Ireland. Um, you can you can avail of that if you send it back to Malta though you're paying paying normal tax but um yeah so I, I, th I think people should go where they're treated best to use uh, Andrew Henderson's uh, phrase uh, I definitely think people should internationalize multiple passports um uh, and I think this is definitely 
especially now with the whole uh, COVID situation, the way we've seen our governments be completely tyrannical, take away our rights, restrict our freedoms, restrict our movements. Uh, people need to, the only way to combat that is to be sovereign international individuals. So we need to regain sovereignty and that's become more important than ever. I mean, part of the, re- part of the thing that inspired the boat here is I live on a tiny rock. Malta is tiny, it's tiny, tiny. And they closed yep. the airports at the start of this thing. So it's not trapping me here. Um, so I do think it's more than ever uh, at the time to be looking into second pass. But I think the way you guys are pivoting to to um, to deliver information to people about uh, second citizenships and how they can um, improve their tax situation, I think, is a, I think is a great direction to go in. Uh, I think it's more important than ever, man. Um, I'm super pro crypto. I'm a libertarian. Uh, go out and get it. And uh, I think the only way to, I mean, you can go and complain on Twitter, but oh, this sucks. And you can be getting angry looking at your Facebook feed and reading the news articles. And, it, 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 you know, I, I look at people back in Ireland and it's it, like, I mean, it's so restrictive over there. It's it's sad to see. And uh, I feel sorry mm-hmm. for my friends who live there because um, mm-hmm. they're at one of the most restrictive lockdowns in Europe. You know, I had my I had my wedding and none of they weren't none of my friends and family from Ireland. Uh, were legally able to come and visit me because the government said you're not allowed to leave the country unless you have uh, an extremely, um, uh, you know, an essential reason, essentially, and, uh, and uh, weddings didn't cover. So, um, I, so it's more important than ever for people to get their get their crap together and uh, to to pursue uh, to become as a uh, sovereign individuals. Thanks, Mark, for that. I, I appreciate that and. You know, just wanted to thank you so much for your continued support of my Latin life over the years. I think we've had a yeah, great I've been fan, relationship I've been fan for ages. on OGs. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, we'll continue to collaborate into the future. And um, this was an amazing uh, interview and conversation. And uh, thanks so much for coming on. And, you know, th- this will really help us kind of uh, kick off the podcast in a big way, get some big guests, because we can say, yo, we just had Mark Zolo on. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah people do you remember mark zolo back in the day that, that <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> of this way, but uh, listen thank you very much for that and uh yeah man uh, hopefully we'll see each other at some stage when i maybe uh when i'm i'm coming through mexico at some stage absolutely bro um any uh any last shout outs anything you want to promote here uh not much i said i just i just started that um new blog mark sales i'm probably going to start it's on substack i'm probably going to do something for uh under my name mark zolo on substack as well the stuff that i it's right about the things that i don't want my family and friends reading because i'm not doing blogging anymore but i still have a lot to say that might mm-hmm. be controversial and also i want to uh give men advice i still want to give men advice i don't think um i i, I don't think there's uh, a lot of good resources for young guys out there uh, and how to live their lives. Also, uh, you know, improve their their prospects of women and and travel and adventure, all that stuff. This, I, I, I still, uh, I'm not hanging on my boots just yet. Just, um, I'm just departing from the Nani Nomad brand, that's all. But yeah, so check out My Life as a Mexican Pirate on Amazon, Nani Nomad on Amazon. Uh, and hopefully soon I'll have the audiobook out. And anyone going to New York, I have a book on New York called Naughty Nomad's Guide to New York City. Uh, extensive guide uh, and quite funny I had fun writing that um, yeah so that's me man uh, 
yeah and my youtube channel check out my youtube channel that's uh i'm really into the whole youtube and filmmaking and all that kind of thing that's you can just look up a naughty nomad or mark zolo mark zolo that's the one yes man please continue to make youtube videos and uh maybe we can sync up again uh after you finish your your big uh caribbean trip so with that uh you know bon voyage buen viaje and uh wish you all the best on the trip bro all right adios amigo and take care ciao